1 Peter chapter 2, I'll read from verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, let's start from there. Set apart, starting with this news, uh, I mean series, this first message, the priesthood of all believers. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous lights. Verse 10 says, Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. Once was not even a people, but now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Look at your neighbor for me, tell your neighbor, I have obtained mercy. Look at somebody else, tell them, you have obtained mercy. Notwithstanding what the devil may be saying over your life and destiny right now, I declare over everyone here, you have obtained mercy. I cannot hear your amen. amen. Notwithstanding where you have been, what you have been through, and who you have been with, you have obtained mercy. Oh, only the people on this segment are saying amen. amen. The mercy of God, the Bible says, triumphs over my error and my mistakes. The mercy of God is greater than all of my sins put together. Somebody see here this morning. We are a people of God and we have obtained mercy. We are not the object of his wrath. We are the object of his mercy. And the Bible says he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And I am one of those people on whom he, has, he will have mercy. Glory be to Jesus. I said, glory be to Jesus. So the Bible calls us here a royal priesthood and a holy nation. A royal priesthood, God's own people. And that's what we want to unpack this morning. A royal priesthood, the priesthood of all believers. Can, can you put my first slide on the screen this morning? Can somebody help me to point at a priest here? Who is the priest here? Where's the priest here? Can you point at the priest? Quickly, quickly. I'm waiting for a bold person. Yeah, somebody's pointing in that direction, right? Yeah, yeah. Any other person here? Can you point? Point. Okay. Somebody said the third person. Okay. Okay, you know, in, 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 uh, if you have taken uh, an objective exam before where you have options, you have A, B, C, D, and by the time you get to D, they say all of the above. So it's option D. All of the above. Because some people think the guy to my extreme uh, left and your right, uh, with, with all the garment and everything, and with the big cap, must be the priest. Or maybe some of the guys in the black robes, or maybe the ones wearing the crucifix, maybe they are the priest. Uh, so what about the young lady? <laughs> she is the servant of the priest. What about the dude there with a, with, with a bag across his neck? He's just a Lagos guy, all right? Yeah? <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> I want us to understand this morning that the Bible says that Christ has broken the middle wall of perdition that separates us from God, and we have all been made kings and priests in Christ, and we shall reign in him. Are you still here this morning? It's very important that we understand that. We are a royal priesthood. God's own people. Objects of his mercy 
His grace and His love. God adores us, especially when we come to Him through Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. And the New Testament happened to be a, a game changer. It was a game changer in the New Testament. The way God looks at us was different. The way he wants to relate with you and now, you and I, completely different. And that's what we want to unpack this morning. Hoping that somebody will leave this service this morning with a new understanding of who you are in Christ Jesus. And your relationship with God will take a new dimension. Oh, can I get some amen to that? So, the first mention of the word priest in the scripture is what I, where I want us to start from. Who is a priest? Who is a priest? And the first mention of the word priest in the scriptures. Uh, the first mention always speaks to original intention. The law of the first mention says that when you look at a place where uh, something is mentioned in the scripture for the first time, it speaks to God's original intention concerning it. Time will not permit me this morning, but you can go all through the scriptures. You see something, the God, uh, the, even the creation of man. Let us make man in our image. The first place man was mentioned. You understand man better. If you want to talk about marriage, you go to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 down to 3. You read things like, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a helper that is suitable or comparable with him. Or was it where God was saying, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife? Wife was mentioned for the first time there. I hope you understand what I'm saying. So you understand the dynamics of that relationship. We could use contemporary language in 21st century to describe it, but the principles remain the same. And the place where something is mentioned for the first time connotes God's original intention about it. So the word priest was mentioned here for the first time, and it connotes what God had in mind concerning it. Genesis chapter 14 was the place where the word priest was mentioned for the first time. We're talking about the priesthood of all believers. The fact that we are royal priesthoods. In Genesis uh, 14 here, just as a way of, uh, of, of, of description, what happened here was that Abraham was separated from Lot, I think in Genesis 13, and uh, Lot went to Sodom. And afterwards, because Sodom was a place of hype, of resources, of all kinds of, you know, flamboyant stuff, you know, the, 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 wherever you see all those things, uh, there will be contention because resources flow through. I mean, it was a gateway city where there was a lot of commerce and heavy entertainment and all kinds of things. Yeah, it's a place like New York or Chicago or Lagos or, or Johannesburg. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, or Nairobi, Kenya or Kinshasa. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of place. And I'm not saying that these places are so dumb. I hope you're not. I'm just describing... Uh, uh, the amount of things that go on in gateway cities. Yeah. And the, the fact that there's high-level commerce in places like London or Frankfurt, you know, high-level commerce and all kinds of things going on. So there's always contention. Look beyond the fact that uh, um, Lot was, uh, was moved by the things that eyes can see. I mean, many people here today, they told you like Lot to choose. Yeah. Between... I don't even know where to say so that you won't think I'm criticizing anywhere. But what came to my mind was to say, choose between Ibadan and Lagos in Nigeria here. Yeah. I grew up in Ibadan. You understand what I'm saying? And now I'm in Lagos. I don't, God brought me here. I didn't choose. <laughs> but if you, if you were told to choose between a city where, where uh, there was a lot of, you know, a lot going on and a place where, long story short, Lord 
chose Sodom. And in Sodom, there was contention. Five kings or so came into one accord to fight the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom also tried to get some people to come into partnership with him, but I think it was a five against four or something like that. They lost. And Lot was in Sodom as at that time. Now, the story of Sodom was like the story of boardroom politics, fighting for resources, all kinds of things that go on in corporate Nigeria, corporate Africa, corporate America today, all kinds of things that go on. And the fact that even when you live in the corporate world, whether in career or business, you need the hand of God over your life. It's not the God of the church. It's the God of the universe. Are you still with me today? Yeah. It's the God of the universe. It's not the God of the church. It's the God of the universe, including everything in it. So, they went too far. They carried Lot. And the man of covenant was still there, Abraham. Some of the people who escaped went to Abraham and told Abraham, Lot had been carried. Abraham said, no, not under my watch. The boy's head may not be correct, but still, it's still my blood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's still my blood. He went after them. And the Bible says Abraham in Genesis 14, 14, carried 318 trained soldiers from his own house. That underscores the place of training and preparation. Yeah. Abraham had what it, what it would take for God to be able to move on his behalf. 318 trained soldiers that he trained in his own house. And they went in pursuit of them. And they, they, they fought even in the night. And they won the battle. God working for them and working with them. But he had representation. When Adam triumphed over five kings, I don't know what you are going through in your office right now or in your home right now, but I just wanted to know that the God that we serve is the one that brings us into triumph. When Abraham was coming back after the war, God decided to show up to Abraham. And he showed up in form of a man called Melchizedek, king of Salem, verse 18 of Genesis 14. The Bible says, brought in bread and wine. And he was the priest of the Most High God. The priest of the Most High God. Melchizedek, king of Salem, which means king of peace, which is one of the descriptions of Christ in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah's prophecy of Christ in Isaiah chapter 9. Yeah, Isaiah 9. He was called the prince of peace. Everlasting father. That's what Jesus was called. What am I trying to say? Melchizedek who appeared to Abraham here, when you read the book of Hebrews, the writer of the book of Hebrews adjured that Melchizedek must be a pre-appearance of Christ. It's called Christophany in theology. The appearances of God or Christ before he came to the Virgin Mary. And he was referred to as a priest. But the Bible says he had no beginning of day, no end of day. He was called king of peace, priest of the most high God. He appeared to Abraham. And look at what he said to Abraham. Go back to Genesis 14 for me. What he said to Abraham. Quickly, guys. Yeah. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out wine, bread and wine, like Jesus did with his disciples, giving them communion what we call communion. He was the priest of, of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, 
One of the names of God is El Elyon, the Most High God. That's the name that was called here. Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God. Today, if somebody meets you, after you just won a big contract, or your business just doubled, would they say, bless Bitade or Andrew of the Most High God, whom El Elyon showed up for, or would they say, bless Bitade because he has a network of uh, big boys. Or because he belongs to, no, he goes to church, but he belongs to a cult. Or he has one power that he was using. Or would they attribute it to your brain? Blessed be Abraham of the most high God, possessor of heaven and earth. And he blessed, and said, blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And the response from Abraham was that Abraham gave him a tithe of all. Abraham gave him a tithe of all. This particular passage is a digression. This is not my message, but I need to say this. Maybe another day I'll teach more on it. This is the first expression of priesthood and first expression of tithing in the Bible. And it underscores two things. One, when a man walks with God, God shows up for him. Abraham had no need of a priest from Genesis 12 when God called him. Was working with God, relating with God directly. Go to the place that I will show you. Abraham will go. Abraham will get the sacrifice to God. He was living his life with God. Then here, God showed up, showed up for him big. He won a continental battle. And then Christ showed up there in form of Melchizedek, you know, priest of the Most High God, which is the appearance of Christ, like I said, and without any prompting, without any asking, Abraham gave a tithe. This is the New Testament approach to giving to God and to tithing. Yeah. It was a response to what God has done in his life. A response to a continuing relationship. A response to a victorious partnership. Are you still with me this morning? A response to a covering and a God of love. Glory be to Jesus. So, God has always wanted, you know, an inclusive, not an exclusive uh, situation. He's always been inclusive, not exclusive. He doesn't want just one priest. He wants a kingdom of priests. By the, by the way, to be a priest means somebody who can access God's presence. Access to God's presence. Yeah. Somebody who can access God's presence. Christ, according to the scripture, is the first priest that showed up. And then he showed up again in the New Testament, and I'm going to make a link very quickly. The first man that walked in the covenant with God at this level happened to be Abraham. When he got to this point, where he was recording, I mean, recording this kind of victory, Jesus came to celebrate with him. That's what he meant, literally. And he instituted certain things that time will not permit me to get into today. But I needed to understand something, that God's original intention is that we will all, after the order of Christ, be priests to him. 
people who can access his presence, people who love his presence, people who take advantage of his presence and who don't behave like orphans. Because many people, many Christians today love to behave like orphans. So that somebody access something for you and then you get something out of it. God has always been inclusive. So God's original intention you see in Exodus 19 verse 5 to 6. Exodus 19 and verse 5 to 6. And I'm going to describe uh, where we were in this discussion to what happened in Exodus 19 verse 5 to 6. In Exodus 19 5 and 6, the Bible says, Now God speaking to Moses, Therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the heart is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. God's original intention is for Israel to be a kingdom of priests and a holy people to him. Now, let me digress a little bit to describe some things. Between Genesis 14, where we were, to Exodus 19 that I just read from, this was what happened. Abraham walked with God. We saw a, continuing walk, a, a continuous walk with God till the point where Abraham came to the point where God could demand anything from him when he asked him for Isaac, whom he waited for for years. You know the story. And God said, I just want to be sure that you'll be willing to offer this. And that was supposed to be a prototype, another prototype of how God was going to lay down his own son. Because Abraham did not fail there, God reciprocated the heart of Abraham when Christ hung on the cross. Are you still with me today? Yeah. A man, Abraham actually walked us into the New Testament with the depth of his work with God. Yeah. God was looking for a man that would do something that he will reciprocate to bring us into a new covenant with him. And he found Abraham. If Abraham did not offer Isaac there, Isaac happened to be a prototype of Christ. Yeah. A child of promise. God's only begotten son. John 3 says, For God so loved the world that he gave. For Abraham so loved God that he gave Isaac. And then for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus Christ. I hope you understand what I'm saying. It's reciprocation of Abraham's gesture. So when we talk about the blessedness of Abraham, please be, trust me, it's not something small. Yeah, it's not something small. It's not small at all. So Abraham became the father of Isaac. Let me run through you through the Old Testament. The father of Isaac, Isaac, then like the King James would say, begat Jacob. And Jacob begat 12 sons. And one of his sons happened to be Joseph. And then Joseph was carried into slavery in Egypt. And in Egypt, Joseph be became a big boy. Yeah. And he occupied the political office of the prime minister. He had control of resources and all that. And a strange famine struck the world to the point that uh, Jacob, with all the blessing of Abraham upon his life, was struggling to get food to eat. He had money, but there was no food. Money failed. So, then he sent his children, his sons, to Egypt to buy food. 
and then eventually they discovered that Joseph was there. Cut a long story short, Joseph sent for his father and the entire people remaining from Abraham's lineage, the Jews, they came into Egypt. Hundreds of years in Egypt, Jacob died, Joseph died, all his brothers died, and they had descendants upon descendants, hundreds of years in Egypt. Things turned around. Nobody remembered Joseph again. They just knew a set of people were living amongst us. The new pharaoh came into town who turned them to slaves. They were growing very fast. The blessing of God was upon their life. Like Nigeria, the population was just multiplying. You understand what I'm saying? They were just growing <laughs> very fast. Yeah. And they were threatened by the level of their growth. They turned them to slaves. And then they started to cry out to God. It looked like God was silent for hundreds of years over them. God was just silent. And at some point, God started to hear their voices and then God caused Moses to be born. Moses was too fast in his approach. He only saw somebody trying to mess up with a Jew and he broke the neck of the guy, committed murder. And then he had to go into exile, adding another 40 years to their slavery. That's why you should not be too fast for God. I hope you understand what I'm saying. So eventually what happened Exodus chapter 3 or so, God met up with Moses at the burning bush. And he had the popular burning bush experience where he realized it's God's purpose for his life. God said, I'm sending you back to Egypt. My people have stayed too long. Yeah. That season has to be over right now. And he sent him to Egypt. And you know about the ten plagues and all those things. And then Moses eventually got the Jews across the Red Sea. And then they got into the wilderness. And as they crossed the Red Sea, Symbolic of baptism in the New Testament. They were baptized as they passed through the Red Sea. Read it in the book of Hebrews. The writer described it there. They were baptized in the Red Sea. And they got into the, 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 the wilderness. What happened? God had to set up a new rule for them to live by. To live with themselves and to live with him. Are you still here? Yeah. One of the things he did was to bring the Ten Commandments. And said, with this, this is how you're going to live. They had been in slavery. They had never taken responsibility for themselves. A slave does not take responsibility for himself. It's the property of the slave owner. The slave owner took responsibility for the slave. Look for food for the slave so that the slave can serve more because the slave is just an asset. You have to take care of your asset. The slave does not have a mind of his own. The slave you know, uh, uh, owner decided what the slave would do, what the slave would eat, what's available, you know, and all that. So this was where they were coming from. They had zero responsibility for themselves. God said, I need to teach them how to live as free people. Yeah, as free people. And to teach them how to live as free, free people. So he started to give them all those rules. So in the Old Testament, they lived by rules, laws, and commands. It was like military rule for lawless people. Are we still here? At least Nigerians are used to, well, those pe people who are holding up, they're used to military rules. Yeah. When there's lawlessness, military comes in, and they rule by decrees and laws and commands and fiat. That's what God did there. That's what we call the Old Testament. So, for instance, when you talk about an issue that's uh, caused a lot of misunderstanding, like an issue of tithing, Abraham did it without the law. He didn't need the law. He just loved God and responded to God. God said, this ones, 
for them to get the blessing of Abraham, I had to constrain them. So it's a law. If you don't do it, I kill you. Or I do something bad to you. <laughs> yeah. If you don't observe the Sabbath, stone, let, stone the person to death. He was forcing them to know how to live. As a slave, they didn't know anything about Sabbath or rest. The slave master drove them crazy. And they're used to that. God said, now I need to teach you how to live. And I'm going to force you to do it. Yeah. Because you are now my people. And you need to live as my people. This is how the law came. Are you still here? Yeah. But talking about the issue of an intermediary, even at all, I mean with all that, God, did, God still did not want them not to be able to relate with him directly. So there were laws and all that, but yet he wanted them to relate with him directly. So this was what happened. God told Moses in Exodus 19 that I want to raise, in verse 6, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests. All of you will be priests to me. You have access to me. But the first time, God decided to try it. So let's look at how did priesthood become an intermediary. How somebody is following this today? Yeah. At a point, we just realized that Israel had laws to live with. They had all kinds of things. And then all of a sudden, there was also priesthood. And that was not God's original intention. Priesthood was not supposed to be an intermediary. How did priesthood become an intermediary? It was because in Exodus chapter 20, when God says, let's try it, I'm giving you rules on how to live, you know, and all that, now approach me and let's start to relate now that you're out of Egypt. Look at what happened in uh, Exodus chapter 20 there. The Bible says in verse 1, uh, no, Exodus chapter 20, Let's read from verse 18, just to, to cut through the chase. Yeah. Now, God showed up, and the Bible says, Now all the people witnessed the thunder, thunderings, and the lightning flashes, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, can we read it together? When the people saw it, can we read it one more time? When the people saw it, now look at verse 19. And they said to Moses, you speak with us. You, be the intermediary. Speak with us and we will hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. God said, I want to relate with you. They said, no. You, Moses, become the intermediary. You, you will go and listen to God because the way this God showed up. Well, I've never seen anything like this before. To them, it was like a horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> because they've been hearing about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their fathers. But they never had a relationship with him. The first attempt of God relating with them, it, show up, it showed off too much. It overwhelmed them. Because <laughs> God showed up and they, in the mightiness of his power, and they were overwhelmed. And they were like, no, we can't do this. Moses, you speak to God. And then you tell us what God is saying, and then we'll speak to you what we want, and then you'll go and tell God again. Yeah. And at this point, God said, God saw perhaps that they would not be able to cope relating with Him directly. Even when they instituted the temple, this was the way the temple was. Read it in your Bible. The temple had the outer court, the inner court, and the holy of holies. 
Now, all the other people can be at the outer court if you're a Jew. Only the Levites, one tribe in Israel that God chose to be a part of the intermediary uh, scheme, and they will be Levites unto God. They will do no other thing. They focus on that, you know. And then God also, in Exodus 28, told Moses, pick Aaron, from verse 1 of Exodus 28, pick Aaron and his sons. Yeah. Then he said to Moses, he said, now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons, Exodus 28 and verse 1, with him, from whom the children of Israel, from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as a priest. Aaron and his sons, and Aaron's sons, and he mentioned all his sons, as priests. They were the ones that would get into the Holy of Holies who can actually stand the presence of God. So you brought your sacrifice, the Levites were examining it, prepare all the things of the temple, give it to the Aaron and his sons, they went to the presence of God to offer your sacrifice on your behalf. They were the people who could approach God in the Old Testament. But that was not God's original intention. God's original intention is that you and I will be able to approach God. God's original intention did not include an intermediary. God always wanted his people to have direct access to him. Direct access. Somebody say, I have direct access. Or say it again, say, I have direct access to my God and my maker. Praise God. That is his original intention. Direct access to him. Direct access to him. The young, the, I mean, the, 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 the gentleman by the name Martin Luther, a German uh, uh, minister and uh, revivalist and revolutionary uh, person who brought, I mean, you can read about Martin Luther, the, the Protestant Revolution, it was called. The premise of the Protestant Revolution happened to be the priesthood of all believers. That the just shall live by his own faith, not the faith of his pastor. I hope you understand what I'm saying. That everyone can relate with God. And it led a revolt that made people to come out of the Catholic Church, Emmas. And that's why all the other churches are called Protestants. From Anglican to Methodist to everybody, Protestant. Including Pentecostals. All of us are what? We protested. <laughs> yeah. Was born out of the even, I mean, the church that Martin Luther himself, the Lutheran movement, everybody protestant because of the understanding that he brought because those days the Bible was not available. So whatever the priest said was in the Bible, they read the scroll and they closed it without you seeing it. <laughs> yeah. And the guy, Martin Luther, was able to see the Bible and he saw the judge and live by his own faith and he saw, he saw that everyone can approach God. I mean, Google it, read about uh, Martin Luther. You understand what I'm saying better? All of us have access to God. God's love will never accept us being separate from him. Even when we reject him, he always finds a way to give us access to him. Praise God. So in the New Testament, God instituted his original intention through Christ. Through Christ. That's why the writer of Galatians said, in Galatians 3 and verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the cause of the law, for it is written, causes everyone that hung on the tree, said that the blessing of Abraham, yeah, the blessing of Abraham 
might come upon the Gentiles in Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So in the New Testament, based on the death and resurrection of Christ, we became kings and priests to our God. Kings and priests to our God. Jesus Christ being our high priest. Our high priest. Our high priest. We are the priests of the Most High God. Jesus is our high priest. And he lives forever to make intercession for the saints. Say amen, somebody. Amen. So there are two types of priesthood. To put this all together. The Aaronic priesthood, which has the Levitical order. That's what we, we, we see through Aaron. Uh, maybe sometimes I'm going to talk about this priesthood garment and the implication of it in the New Testament. But, this is the, the, and this is the Old Testament order. In the New Testament, we have the royal priesthood and the order of Melchizedek. That's what we have. The royal priesthood and the order of Melchizedek. As you can see, this lady is a royal priesthood and order of, order of Melchizedek, you don't need garments. <laughs> That's the order of Melchizedek. Order of Melchizedek is the king-priest equation. You don't have to be a Levite to be a priest. You don't have to be a son of Aaron to be in the presence of God. And Jesus demonstrated it when he called his own apostles, disciples who later became apostles. That's what he demonstrated. So in the Levitical order, you cannot combine priesthood with any other vocation. And you serve in the temple in Jerusalem. In the order of Melchizedek, it's a very peculiar priesthood. Yeah. It allows you to combine your priesthood with secular vocations. That's what it does. In the order of Melchizedek, we are called secular, you know, uh, we are secular professionals to become, I mean, that, that's what allowed, for instance, Jesus, like I was saying, to call secular people, people in secular professions to become Apostles. So when you check through the order of Melchizedek that Jesus operated in, the Bible calls him a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, which has no delineation, you know, no all this um, talking to people to talk to God on your behalf and all that. Jesus called Peter, Andrew, and Philip. They were all seafood entrepreneurs. And he called them <laughs> to serve as as uh, apostles and disciples. Are you still with me today? It's very simple. He called Luke, 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 or Luke, or Luke, yeah. <laughs> was a medical doctor. Simon the Zealot, the second Simon on his list, happened to be uh, uh, a Zealot. Modern day human rights activist. Yeah, an activist. Nationalist, a right-wing agitator. Yeah. He also called another man, for the want of a better word, we call him a civil servant, Matthew. as a tax collector. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus just called Matthew while he was sitting, collecting the word, I mean the thing, you know, what we call in our climb, what? Eh? No, and I said what he was collecting. 
Let's leave it for another day. But he sat there as a tax collector. He was doing his job. Doing what tax collectors do. They collect the right and the wrong. <laughs> Jesus called him there as a civil servant, a tax collector. And he became one of his disciples and later became an apostle. Are you still with me today? That's what we see in the order of Christ. So today, you can be a minister and be a doctor and be a civil servant and be an entrepreneur, be a professor and all that. But much more than that is that all of us have access to God. As I wrap this all up, I need you to understand it. That you cannot shack your responsibility for your priesthood to somebody else. Yeah. You know the way some people treat pastors, prophets, evangelists, and all the people who have titles today? It's like they are the ones, like Israel treated Moses. You go and talk to God, and then we will hear from you, and then, no. Newsflash, pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists are not your priests. You are the priest. For instance, I am not your priest. I am your pastor. We are all priests. Because the connotation of priesthood is access to God. Yeah. So why do we need pastors, apostles, prophets, and all those things? According to Ephesians 4 and verse 11, the Bible says when Christ you know, ascended on high and all that, he, he himself gave some. The Bible says he gave apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, which is priesthood. Yeah. For the equipping of the saints, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the sons of God and the perfect man to a measure of the stature of fullness of Christ that we should not be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, because men will try to trick us, in the cunning craftiness of the sinful plotting. The Bible knows, I mean, the writer of Ephesians knew that all this is going to happen as church progresses. Yeah. What is the role of a pastor, of a prophet, of an apostle to equip the saints, to train the saints? That's the role. All of the saints, including the apostles, prophets, and teachers, we are all, we are all what? I cannot hear you. We are all what? Yeah, very important. So we are, I mean, the apostles, prophets, and teachers, and all the pastors, they are like father figures and instructors that should guide you to maturity, but they cannot love God, worship God, and serve him for you. The way some people see pastors, prophets, especially prophets, <laughs> you can imagine it's like you want them to take over your priesthood for you. It's like my children, I have two biological daughters asking me to eat for them. I love them. The best I can do is to force feed them. But if I put it in my mouth, it's for me. <laughs> yeah? If I put it in my mouth, it's for me. You can't be thinking of somebody hearing God for you. You're not a bastard. Yeah? Mm -hmm. 
The same God who is my father is your father. He should be able to speak to you the same way he will speak to me. Now, I can help you clarify what you are hearing. As, a, as an instructor, as a father figure. Clarify what you are hearing. That's all. Ordinarily, I shouldn't hear for you. Except you are out of fellowship. With God. Out of connection. Yeah. But I can help you to clarify, just like Samuel and uh, Eli. God was speaking to Samuel. And the third time, Eli called him and said, Come, come and tell me what's happening. He said, I'm hearing. The, he said, Go and lie down. Behave this way. The next time you hear, say, Speak, for your servant is hearing. And that beginneth the prophetic ministry of Samuel. Yeah. Somebody instructed him on what to do. Are you still with me today? That's, that's what the office of apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and all that should do in the body of Christ. Glory be to Jesus. So it's very important that we understand this and walk by it. So, what's the big deal with this message? Access. God has given you access. If you are in Christ, you have access to God. And it is he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High that will abide under the shadow of his, of, of his wings. Yeah. Nobody can come into that place for you. There's more than enough room in the Holy of Holies in the New Testament to contain all of us. Are you still with me today? As you go into this week, you need to think about it. What is it that is separating me from God? Or what is, is it that is making me feel unworthy like the Jews before the presence of God? What am I afraid of? And can I lay it in the presence of God today so that I know that God's mercy is greater than my errors, greater than my mistakes, and God has made room for me in his house and in his heart. Are you still with me today? So I can communicate with him freely. Because that's what God wants. Some people here will rather be kings, but they don't want to be priests. Yeah. A king controls resources and has authority. When they think about their Christianity, they only think about the authority and the resources. They don't think about the priesthood of the believer. Which is what brings you to the presence of God and brings you to the realization that God is in your heart by his spirit. And he wants your heart. Why you want his hand, he wants your heart. Yeah. Many people today would rather be to be addressed as CEO than to be addressed as a child of God and the priest of the Most High. When, with all the victory of Abraham in Genesis 14, when Melchizedek saw him, he said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High. He didn't say, Blessed be Abraham who won over five kings and has all this big stuff. No. But today, most believers want to show off God with material things. Blessed be Abraham of the Most High. Not Abraham of CEO, Abraham of uh, Banana Island. Or Abraham. You understand what I'm saying? No. No. Blessed be Abraham of the Most High. El Elyon, the one that is higher than everything. I want to be traced to the Most High. Yeah. I want to be traced. I want everything in my life to be traced to the Most High. Yeah, because I'm connected to him and he's the giver of all good things and I want his heart, not his hand. And as I seek his heart, his hand releases things to me. And I want to keep getting deeper because I've been given access and I will not abuse the access, I will maximize the access. 
that will not allow anything to deny me of that access. One thing that separates us from God is sin. Sin messes up your capacity to embrace the access. Hebrews 4 and verse 16. We close on that. He said, said, let us come, therefore, boldly. 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 Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Boldly. Are you coming boldly? Or are you like the olden day Jews and coming with timidity and fear? Whatever makes you come without boldness is separating you from God. And this morning I want you to deal with it in his presence. God's mercy is greater than your error, your mistake. You are a priest. I don't care what mistake you have made. God has chosen to call you his own. And if you are in Christ, you are a new creature. All things have passed away, all things have become new. Don't let your sins hold you back in the past. Maximize your access. Stand up on your feet, everybody, if you don't mind. Please stand.